Turn to John 14. I'm going to open in prayer, but uh, you can at least be ready with your, your Bibles. I'll tell you right up front before we pray. <clears throat> you will need your Bibles this morning. If you didn't bring one, that's totally okay. But it's not okay if you don't have one. Uh, but if you didn't bring your Bible, that blue one that's in the seat back in front of you or in the seat back behind you, if you're sitting on front row, you'll need that. No opinion this morning, just word. And I'll tell you right now, too, that this sermon is beyond you. It's beyond my ability to teach and preach. It's beyond your ability to get. So we need the Holy Spirit to get it done. Because it's, it's not complicated. It's just thick. So let me begin with prayer, and we'll pray for the Holy Spirit's unction this morning. Lord, first this morning, I want to pray um, for a fellow church, sister church in our community. I want to pray for... Westminster Presbyterian. Lord, I want to pray for Greg Fields and Tracy and for their girls. Lord, I just thank you so much for this friendship that he and I have. Lord, I'm thankful for his rich friendship with you, his enjoyment of you through the finished work of Christ, and his sweet ministry that he and Tracy are about at Westminster. Lord, I pray for um, impact. I just pray that it's this work that he's doing and walking with the people through the word with uh, no frills, no dancing girls, no interpretive dance, just um, rich, solid exposition of the word. I pray that you'll build a people and that you'll do that for your own glory and for your namesake. Lord, I'm thankful for um, his marriage. I pray that his marriage is blessed by his time in the word first pray that that gushes over onto his children and that they see a picture of Christ in the church and the way that Greg and Tracy love each other. And Lord, I pray that that people is, is uh, then spilled out on with the Holy Spirit and with truth. And Lord, I pray too that uh, for Westminster and for Crosspoint and for every other Christian church in this community, I pray that you will guard us from a spirit of competition. I ask your forgiveness for those ways in which we secretly celebrate if we hear another church is going through struggles. And, Lord, we want to cheer and beg for great things in the other churches in this community for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, in these next few minutes, I want to pray for our time in the Word. I confess and recognize that it's so far beyond me to expose the depths and the riches of just this one verse. Lord, I know that the Holy Spirit can do that. Lord, I know it's beyond any of our abilities to even get but I know that the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of the hearts and renew minds and create a people who are feasting on the Word and walking in truth. Lord, I pray for that this morning. I pray that something's bigger than any of us, something we can walk away from and say you showed up. We turn this time over, over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to start out this morning just by a quick debrief, very, very brief debrief from last week. Last week's message was on prayer, and we ended the message with just a few thoughts on my personal burden as an elder and pastor. Same thing, synonymous, in case you wonder. And um, I shared that I was troubled about some things that I may or may not be seeing and confessed that it may be just, I just wanted some email. <laughs> really what last week was, it's kind of like a husband sitting down with his wife and saying, hey, honey, are you Okay. Everything all right? Which sometimes you might get, well, yeah. No, I'm just busy. Other times you might get, no, I'm not okay. And I'm glad you asked. So last week was sort of a corporate, hey, honey, you okay? And it's funny, we got kind of a, conti a continuing, um, excuse me, a myriad of possibilities, a continuum of possibilities in response. Most people landed in a place where, like, hey, man, God is doing some cool stuff, amazing stuff in our family, in our marriage, in our home life. In our workplace, just my worship is on. That's, uh, I've got, uh, I don't know how many meet email this week just in response to that or folks that are in that place. But we also had a few folks that were kind of in a place like, hey, man, if we're going to shoot straight, I'm kind of wounded right now, and I'd like to work through that. And that's cool. If that's what it takes for us to stay in that place of having a short list with each other, and being reconciled and not keeping a record of wrongs with each other, but cleansing and purging that list like people who love each other 
ought to do, then man, that was worthwhile. My encouragement this morning is if you were the former, the one that I was just describing, it's like, oh man, God's doing some amazing things. If you sent me this big, long, awesome email, or if you approached me in person and said, hey, let me tell you about what God is doing. If you're one of those people, take what you did with me and now do that with others. And that's called worship. Take that very same thing, that feedback that you gave at least one of the shepherds this week, and now give that update of what God is doing in your lives with your other family members, maybe outside of your immediate family, with your workmates, with your neighbors, and with other people in the church. It's testimony. And if we're all silent, then what we're realizing is, man, we're all really dining and feasting, but if nobody's going, mmm, this is good, then we're wondering, are they okay? Are they feasting too? Is this really that good? When you hear everybody else going, yeah, man, this is good. God's doing some amazing things. It's sort of, an, it's, a, it's a corporate encouragement. So I encourage you, if you were one of those that sent one of those or spoke with me in person, man, don't be silent with each other. Places that you can do that are uh, over dinner tables. That's a great place to do that. Or in dens, you know, the virtual environment is a possibility. It's not my most favorite, but Facebook, you know, share some of what God's doing in, in your lives publicly. That's called worship. Worship is not a private thing. It is to be out loud. So I encourage you in that. Then on the other end of the continuum, if, if you're wounded and this week kind of stimulated either for you maybe to kind of bring that out or maybe some of you who might be right up on the edge of that wanting to bring that out, let me encourage you to approach your offender. You may find that they're mortified and completely ignorant to the fact that they've wronged you. And you may find that they are very sorry. <laughs> but if you don't approach them, you have no idea. You have no idea. No, you don't give them an opportunity to reconcile. And I, trust me, it impacts your worship and theirs, whether they know it or not. So I encourage you, man, let's, let's keep a short list with each other for the sake of his name. John 14, 15 is where we are today. <clears throat> it's one verse, but it's funny. We're going to be going to a lot of Scripture this morning. That's why I really wanted you to have your Bibles. And to be ready to turn and move. I'll try and give page numbers as I go. And so don't, don't be afraid. If you don't know where it is, you can still turn with me. I, I'm using the English Standard Version, which if you have the ESV and it's not a study version, your page numbers will be the same. If you have the Pew Bible, your page numbers will be the same. So you don't have to feel like, oh man, I'm not cool because I don't know where Hosea is. All right, I'm going to help you. All right, John 14, 15 is where we're... Uh, at least beginning this morning. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'm going to go back and read verses 13 and 16 and just read them in context because we're going to engage this in context this morning. Verse 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, in my name this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We're going to consider the context and the neighbors there, but first I want to just consider what's being said here. It's pretty straightforward. It's not real complex or difficult. He's saying that love obeys and obedience loves. What he's saying is if you really love me, you'll obey me. If we can borrow marriage as an illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church, which is not a novel illustration, it's the same thing that Paul used. If we can borrow marriage, then look at it from the point of view of marriage. Visualize what's being said here through this relationship that's so familiar to all of us, husband and wife. Consider this, the woman who is not faithful to her husband, who does not follow her husband. I'm just not talking about cheating. I'm talking about the woman who's unleadable also. We may be that, we may know that woman, or we may know of her. That woman, while she may say that she loves her husband, really doesn't, because love obeys. Now, some of you who are new to Crosspoint, you're going to think, man, we got to really have a heavy-handed leadership role in view of the husband. We have a biblical view on that, and you can go back and listen to other sermons. But I want you to just climb in that picture. Look at it from the point of view of a wife, how she follows her husband, 
or how she treats her husband. If she is off running around on her husband or if she's unleadable from her husband, then she is like a love or her love is like a morning cloud that goes away, like the dew that goes away early. Her love is not a deep, rich, consistent love. And in fact, she really doesn't love him in the way that's being described here. She loves herself. Now, we're all thinking about visual images. We're all thinking about marriages that we may have heard come apart or marriages that may have survived but went through a difficult period like this. So we can, we can visualize this. I want you to see this in terms of a spiritual reality. The good news for that woman who's running around on her husband is that she can change, she can repent and come back to her first love. And the beauty for the church or for a family, for an individual who's thumbing their nose at our husband, Christ, is that we too can repent and come back to our first love as he commands right here. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to approach this charge, this encouragement, this statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I want us to approach this like a bunch of cheating wives. A bunch of wives who failed our husband and who will fail him again. I want us to start out convicted and realize the ground is very level because we're a bunch of stiff-necked people. And this thing that he's charging us with doing is something that every single one of us fails at, has failed at, and will fail at. So let's come under conviction right under this morning, but just right off, right, at, right out of the chute and say, man, we're all guilty in some ways, small and big, every single one of us. And every single one of us can learn more about love and obedience. And really, we can learn more about grace, too. Also, what you're going to see this morning, this picture of the wife and husband imagery will come back this morning, but something else you're going to see developed this morning is you're going to see that obedience and love go together. You can't separate love for Christ and obeying Christ. They are, it's a word I'm going to introduce to most of you, or many of you probably know this word. It's not a real high-speed word. It's sort of a preacher word that I always hated growing up, but it's a good word, inextricable. They are inextricably linked, love and obedience. We'll come back to that later. What I want to do this morning, though, just to kind of give you a map of what's in store, I want to consider who does this sound like in the words that he says here, if you love me, you will obey commandments. Who does it sound like? Secondly, who are the neighbors to this thought? And then third, what are the commandments we are to obey out of love for him? Okay, so first, who does this sound like? Turn to Exodus chapter 20. It's on page 61 of your pew Bible or your ESV. This will be a familiar passage to you. It should be. It would be to a Jew, and it should be to us. The best Christians make a at least a good Jew in the beginning, at least understanding that, uh, what we've been saved from. Chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Any opportunity we have to engage God or Jesus and see the godness of Jesus, I want us to stop down and do that. So before we really even climb into this passage this morning, I just want us to consider the godness of Jesus. Who did that just sound like? We know that's God, and we believe that's God the Father that said, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then 1,500 years later, Jesus shows up and says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The same God that spoke on Sinai is the same God that spoke here, either on his way to the Mount of Olives 
are already at the Mount of Olives. and says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. God spoke these words a few hours before he was nailed to a cross for our sin. Now, let's consider the neighbors. We'll just spend just a few minutes considering the godness of Jesus. Let's consider the neighbors to this passage. I read the passages on either side because I wanted you to see it in context. Last week, we preached on prayer. This week, we're preaching on loving obedience and obedient love. And next week, in the folding weeks or the weeks that unfold, will be on the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the neighbors are to a sermon, look at last week or the one coming up because we're going verse by verse. Or in this, this passage, we can look right here in front of us, and in red, it shows us what his neighbors are. Christy and I have laughed before about our train of thought. Like when we're traveling or something, you're in the car for a long time and you're talking. And we've laughed before at how our train of thought has ended up where it ended up. You ever done that? You do kind of disassemble it. Here's where this began. And then you look at where it ends and you think about how it got there. It just meanders because we're distracted and fallen and emotional and all kind of weird things that are going on in our heads where our Lord train of thought is not fallen. And we've got to consider our Lord's train of thought, where it traveled from. It traveled from the, the end of chapter 13 where he's preparing them for his departure. And then the beginning of chapter 14, he says, but I don't want you to stay troubled. I know you're troubled right now, but I command you not to stay troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he spends a few verses saying why he's God. And then he says, man, there's great things in store. And then he says, pray. That's where we went last week. And then he says, love and obey, obey and love. And then he says, and oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit is coming. Just look on either side of this loving obedience and obedient love. And in one side is prayer and the other side is the Holy Spirit. Let's just consider the fact that he used those as immediate neighbors. And consider first prayer. Without prayer, we can't hope to love or obey. It's impossible Something I have to share with you since we're shooting straight with each other these days, hopefully most days, all days, is that in six years of pastoring Crosspoint, prayer has been the hardest thing to do. Personally, corporately. If we schedule a potluck, man, it's on. People won't come out of the woodwork. And ladies going to come out with the finest casseroles you've ever seen. And, man, we're going to tear it up. But if we schedule a prayer time, it's going to be a thin sliver of attendance as it would be as if we were at a potluck. And then typically what happens over time or what has happened in the last six years is there might be an initial flurry of activity in prayer. Some of you have been part of those. And you know over time how that sort of wanes. And people kind of drop off the radar over time. Because prayer is hard, man. You should know now, though, it used to discourage me a lot. It doesn't discourage me now like it used to because now I realize that all of us are on a journey. And I realize that all of us have a point, hopefully, likely, the easy part, in our journey of faith where racing to a potluck is natural. <laughs> but hopefully through time and wisdom and maturity and circumstance, we learn to race to the real cream, prayer. Prayer is a neighbor an immediate neighbor to love and obedience. Turn to John chapter 17. It's just a few pages over from John 15. I don't remember where you are most recently. Exodus. Go back to John 17. John 17 is a passage I'm really anxious for us to climb into as a church. It'll be, I don't know how long it'll be from now. If the Lord doesn't come back, we'll first we'll dine on John 17 together if the Lord wills it. John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for his disciples hours before he's nailed to a cross. So we get to listen in on God the Son praying to God the Father. I mean, it's really an amazing passage. And what's really amazing about it is he's praying for the likes of us. And here's something he prays for, just to show you how involved love and obedience is with prayer. Let's look at what he prays in verse 26. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. 
This is just a few minutes after he's just said this passage we're considering this morning. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I mean, in the same conversation, only moments later, these are pages later, maybe months later for us as we preach and engage it, as we eat on it as a people. But it's moments later in the actual context. Moments later, he begins to pray out loud in front of his disciples. And he's praying that their love would result in obedience, that their obedience would be love. Love would fill them. He's praying for love in them. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, page 1022. Some of y'all are going to go get an ESV after this morning. That's fine. It's a good version. Now, this is written by the same guy that wrote the book of John. He was also a guy that was there that night. He heard these words from Jesus firsthand. Greater works than these you'll do. Pray and ask anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And listen what John writes here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. I'm going to begin in verse 21 for the sake of context. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Sound familiar? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Do you see the connection there? This same John that sat there, we don't know how many years earlier, he sat there on that night and heard these words from Jesus. It seems as if he's recalling the details of that night, and he unfolds them in the same exact way. Prayer and then loving obedience. They're neighbors. They have the very same neighbor, and they're involved. Prayer and loving obedience and obedient love. Most of us, I think, would confess that we love Jesus. Here's where this is going. Most of us, if I asked you, do you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, man. It's on. <laughs> man, I love him like everything. Say, okay. Well, what are your neighbors to that love? The neighbors that our Lord shared in John chapter 14 is prayer and love. The neighbor that John shares is prayer and love. Would our neighbor be his neighbor? Why does prayer come so difficultly from people who profess to love the Lord? Would we post prayer right next to love? Let me put this before you. If you say that you don't know how to pray or what to pray about, then from today's message, you can walk away with this prayer, a prayer for an increase of love. If you only prayed for one thing, pray, Lord, give me an increase of love with resultant obedience. If that's the only prayer you had, that would be the best foundational prayer, for all other prayers are dependent on that one prayer. Think about this. Unless this is your first and your strongest and your deepest request, then all other prayer goes unanswered. You want to hear crickets from God then go to him in an unloving way with no desire for a deeper, richer love and ask for some things to happen. Crickets. Because prayer is a mockery if we come to him that way, in a way that does not love him. This would be like the cheating wife asking the husband to fill up the gas tank so she can go around and run around on him. It'd be like the cheating wife asking the husband, hey, can you slide me some cash? So I can run around on you tonight because you're not my first love anymore. Man, what is our prayer life like when we come to God not praying first, Lord, increase my love. Give me a deeper, richer love for you, please. Quicken my heart to see your glory, your beauty. Prayer and love and obedience go together. If our prayer, if, if your life, your love toward Christ, you're looking at yourself saying, man, I'm like a dew that goes, or like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes away early. If I'm really being honest with myself, I'm so easily lured away. I ask you the question, do you pray? Do you pray with others? If you need some teammates, 
man, it's on. You got to get up early. I can tell you one day you can put on your calendar 6.30s on, on, on Thursdays. 6.30 in the morning. You got some teammates right over there in that building. Is it that way? Right over there in that building, you'll have people that pray with you each week. If your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew which goes away early, we can pray together for an increase of love and prayer. That's one neighbor. The other neighbor is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't possibly hope to love or obey that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We cannot possibly hope to love him rightly. The love that's spoken of here does not come naturally. That's something you've got to understand. It's not something that you just come by naturally. It just kind of spills out of you. Now, what a schoolboy feels for a schoolgirl, that comes naturally. I don't want to belittle any of our youth that might be dating other people or any of our young people who might be dating other people. But let me assure you, what you feel right now comes very naturally (laughs) because I've felt it. I know what that is. What that's called, that's called in the Greek language, it's called eros. And honestly, that has more to do with me than it has to do with the love ed. It has more to do with what I want and what I think I need than what the love ed needs. That comes naturally. It says, I love me and want you. When I said my vows to my wife, I think that's where I was. 13 years, almost 14 years ago. As I look back where I am now, I'm looking back at my little wafer-thin love then, and I think it was, I love me, and I want you. But the reality is that love is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Now, if that same schoolboy and schoolgirl get married, and they're five or ten years into their marriage, and he's got a big old gut, and she's, um, she's changed... She's had a couple of kids. Things have happened, you know. They get busy. Things around the house need fixing and money is short. Then is the test of love. Then is the test of love. Is that husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and died for her, even if she's moody and difficult and changed. And is that wife submitting to her husband even when he's a bonehead, not if he's a bonehead, when he's a bonehead. That's the test of love, and that sort of love does not come naturally. That sort of love has got to come from somewhere else. What comes naturally is selfishness and lust. I love me and want you comes real natural. We need something from somewhere outside of us to love like he's describing right here. And that kind of love comes from the Holy Spirit, period. Turn to Romans chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'm going to share a couple of passages with you, and I'll get there quickly. I just want to share two brief passages in 2 Corinthians. I want to show you where Paul places love and obedience and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't turn there. I want you to Rome in Romans chapter 5, but just listen to this. Chapter 6, verses 4. Through six. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Paul puts them as neighbors too. You know, he may even have been repeating. It may have been another way to say the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. Paul puts them right next to each other. Another passage in 2 Corinthians. It's just the last verse of the whole book. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you see the neighbors? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They're neighbors that sit right next to each other. The Holy Spirit and loving obedience and obedient love. Romans chapter 5. It's clearly communicated here. Look at it about halfway through the verse. God's love has been poured into our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
That's, it doesn't get any more perfect and clear than that. A love for God and a love that comes from God comes from one place, the Holy Spirit. You can't love like this but by the Holy Spirit working in your life. Show me an unloving person who's critical and difficult and self-absorbed, and I'll show you one that's not walking in the Holy Spirit, and they're likely not praying either. And you know what? If any of you think I'm picking on you, (laughs) I'm not, because this is me sometimes. This is all of us sometimes. Remember, we're all cheating wives. Loving obedience and obedient love come from the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. The next few weeks, we're going to be studying the Holy Spirit. So really, if you think about it, we're going to have a love study as we get to know how the Holy Spirit works and what he's doing. So those are the neighbors. Those are the things we've engaged so far. What does it sound like? Or who does it sound like? It sounds like God. Who are the neighbors? Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Now, What are the commandments the lover of Christ is to keep? Turn to Matthew chapter 22. I'll share with you as you're turning there some places you may want to jot down and study. If you want to know the commandments of Christ, I mean, if you want to engage them in a real direct way, Matthew chapter 5 is a great place to go. We're not going there. I want you to turn to Matthew 22. But if you want to do some additional study, which... You know, I can send out a shepherd's guide during the week, or the shepherds can take notes today and say, okay, this is what I need to do with my family this week. Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is a picture of Lord's commandment. In fact, what he does through the whole three chapters is he says over and over again, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And most of those things are commandments. He takes commandments and he raises the bar. Not all of them. Some of them are just common sayings. But it's three chapters full of commandment for how God's people are to live. You can also go to Luke 6. That's a shorter version of the the Sermon on the Mount. You can go to John, some of our recent sermons, just in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Remember, that's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. It's a Greek imperative. It's like thou shall not stay troubled. You need some commandments from Jesus? You can go right to places we've gone. You believe in God? Believe also in me. There's another commandment. There's one commandment I want to go to this morning, really two that are kind of connected. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 39. Let me give you a little background. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were always trying to trip Christ up, always. And Jesus has just totally chumped the Sadducees. So the Pharisees are like, okay, now it's on. All right, Sadducees got chumped. Now, let's all go and see if we can chump him. So, verse 34, that's where we are. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, a.k.a. chumped them. They gathered together, all right. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And this is what our Lord said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The thing that I want you to see this morning is this charge that he's given us in John 14. There, the statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is to see that love and obedience are inextricably linked because love is the commandment. It's not like go do a bunch of things and then you're showing your love for me. The commandment is to love me and to love others. It's sort of this weird circular thing. If you love me, you'll obey my commandment. And oh, by the way, my commandment is to love me. You see that? They they are so interwoven. They're worth a new word for you, inextricable. It's a good word. Let's consider these two things. First, let's consider love God. He's charged them to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Y'all are hanging in there good. I like it. This is the sweetness of really when we unpack this thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, page 151 of your pew Bibles. I'm going to begin in verse 4. This is a familiar passage to a Jew. The Jew calls this passage the Shema. They have a name for it. It's such a special passage to them. 
Because for them, it sums up everything that their faith is. Verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen to what he says next. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I was reading a book a couple of years ago. It was one of John Piper's books. I think it was, I don't remember which one it was. But it hit me for the first time that this is commandment. We're commanded to love. It floored me the thought, wait a second, to be commanded to love. And the reason it floored me is because my view of love, whether I'm honest about it or not, is shaped by the schoolboy, schoolgirl thing. You know, boy does something cool and kind of shows off for girl, and girl loves him, and they love each other, and they marry, and maybe they survive into marriage, and it turns into real love. My whole view of love is really tainted by that. So then it's really weird to think of love as commandment. It doesn't fit when we think of the schoolboy, schoolgirl thing, because you can't command that. That happens naturally. To command love is different. The love that the Lord is commanding here for God and later man that we're going to look at in a moment isn't a feeling. It's not something that comes naturally. That's why it can be commanded. It's not something that spills out of you naturally. It's something that we are to do. It's something that we are to be about. When he commands us to love him with heart, soul, mind, and might, he's commanding us to delight in the right thing. Think about that, how this whole story began. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve sees that fruit, and what does she think? It's what? To the eyes. Delightful. Mmm. But then through the work of our Lord, redeeming people over time, you look over in Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Blessed is the man, the really happy man, is the one who doesn't delight in forbidden fruit. For his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates both day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears its fruit in season. His commandment to love him would be like someone commanding you to eat at Three Forks. You, uh, Three Forks is like the best restaurant in Dallas. I command you to go eat at Three Forks. Oh, man. You're like, oh, man, it's on. Okay. Maybe the country boy version, salt grass. <laughs> I, I love salt grass. I command you to go stay at the Gaylord all weekend on me. Oh, man. Okay. When you really take in what he's commanding us to do, he's commanding us to delight in something that's only that's truly delightful. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, okay, when you get that, then it's on. The problem, though, is that to love him rightly is difficult because everything in us is waging war in different directions. Everything in us, the natural in us, rages for our own glory and our own self-love. Everything in us, naturally, that's how we're wired. We want to be made much of, that comes natural. <laughs> we want to be missed, that comes natural. Man, I cannot tell you how often I hear about people that have been gone for like a month and they're upset because nobody called them. They didn't feel like they were missed. They should have been calling and saying, what did I miss? God showed up in the whole last month. How many times? What did I miss? They're too busy begging for what? Come stroke me. Wasn't I missed? We love our own glory and our own self-love. We want to be made much of. We want to be needed. We want to be stroked. We want to be celebrated. The irony is all of those things, when they're directed at God, that's called worship. When they're directed at ourselves and we're the center of it, it's called sin. It's called the cheating wife that just loves herself. It's familiar to all of us. So I'm picking on nobody unless I'm picking on all of us. The reality is that by nature, naturally, we are glory thieves and we want the love that's due him. We want it. Put me at the center of this thing. And what we have got to see from this little study 
is we've got to see that our natural view of love is more about loving ourselves than loving him or others. That's not the kind of love that's being spoken of right here. If we love him, the commandment we obey is to love him. Then there's the charge to love others. Turn to John chapter 13. Two more passages, this one and one more. And y'all are totally hanging, man. It's so cool. John chapter 13. Now realize also time-wise, again, I pointed out that it kind of takes us some time to move through the Bible, preaching verse by verse. While John, we were preaching in John chapter 13 like months ago, like a year, this was only moments before. It's moments before he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And only moments later, he's praying to the Father that they would love more. And that the, God, the love of God would fill them. And listen to what he says right here, what he charges them with. Verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Not kind of like I've loved you, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, that double love command is love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, might, and love others. And this passage right here would be like him showing up right here, which he is through this ex exposed word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's showing up and saying, okay, we're to love our fellow disciples. That's the context that he's speaking in right here. Okay, followers of Christ... Followers of me, y'all love each other just as I have loved you. So this love for each other, the second part of that double love command, I just want to consider first what it means to love the other disciples. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> sometimes it's harder to love the other disciples than it is to love a total stranger. But the charge here is for us to love each other. Fellow disciples will be difficult to love at times. Not might be will be. Fellow disciples will be difficult to love at other times. And when I'm considering what he's commanding here, I'm thinking he's telling them to love each other as he has loved them even when, especially when they're unlovable. <laughs> That's hard, man. I got to confess to y'all. That's just really hard for me. That's the hardest part about my journey is pastoring. Preparing to preach each week is really, it's hard, but what really makes it Ten times harder is to try and love the unlovable. And then also to reckon with the reality that a lot of times I'm the unlovable. And own that. But this charge here is within the body. Disciples love each other. He's talking to guys who, in this context, who just hours before argued where they would sit in his court. And who would be the greatest and he's saying, I want you guys, you guys who were just a little while ago arguing about who would be greatest as you walked right next to true greatness. I want y'all to love each other as I have loved you. Man, I'm looking at that going, whoa. As, that, that's the key. As I have loved you. See, the reality is, as fellow disciples, we will show our behinds to each other if we walk together long enough. And you know, we can pick up and move on to the next church. But I make this promise to you. It's a matter of time before they show their behinds to you too. And if you're doing that, if you have this pattern of behind being revealed and off to the next place, realize you're showing yours too. We've got to work through those behind showings for the glory of God. This is the commandment that's being shared here. Don't bail on it, but work through it. When we show our behinds to each other, we are to love each other as we work through it. I know it's hard to love the fellow disciples sometimes, and I just can't imagine that Peter and John and these dudes didn't get on each other's nerves sometimes. But there was too much at stake for them to keep a record of wrongs with each other. You get the sense that if they sat there and heard the Lord say, love each other as I have loved you, then, man, they're keeping a short account with each other because there's too much at stake. The last passage I want you to turn to is Luke chapter 6. 
Luke chapter 6. Still, still speaking about loving others. The double love command, love God, love others. Remember, big picture is he's told them that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So we're looking at what are his commandments. Well, his commandments are to love. If you obey me, or if you love me, you will obey me. And oh, by the way, what, what am I obeying? To love me. And here we're looking to love others. The first part was loving the disciples. Hard sometimes, I know. But look at this passage, chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Not just tolerate them. Not just put up with them. Not just don't be abusive to them. Love them. Love your enemies. Now, that doesn't come natural, does it? We need the Holy Spirit in prayer for this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Man, this is hard too. It's funny, in six years, the amount of abuse that you can take when you plant a church in Greenville. It's funny. The stuff that Christy and I hear about people saying about us or about y'all or about this church, this people, I'm going, man. And we can get upset and we can distance ourselves from this people that we're supposed to be ministering to. Or we can pray for them. And we can love them. And love shows up sweet in that context, doesn't it? It disarms somebody that wants to abuse you when you love them. Well, man, what are you doing loving me? I want you to fight back. It says, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. He said, that, that's not the kind of love that he's speaking of right here. The kind of love that he's speaking of when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments to love, is to love those who are total jerks, to love the abusive, to love the selfish, for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Let me tell you something. It's easy to pastor the families that are firing on all cylinders and they're you know, giving you feedback, and you're like, man, it's on. Yeah, we're, God's doing some amazing things. But those families that you can tell are just kind of mad at you, that's not easy. But if I'm to obey this, I've got to press on in love. And guess what? You've got to press on in love. A lot of this is me, you, because that's all I've got to go off of. But I guarantee there are examples of you and you. Or you and you. Another family has hacked you off. If we've got to do what this says, then we've got to do, if we're to love him, we are to obey every part of this. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. And here's the key to the whole thing. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Fellow cheaters. If you have a tough time being loving with your enemy, realize that's exactly what he's done with us. Do you think there's some merit in you? Something that deserved what he's done to you? Do you not realize that according to our Bibles that we are each enemies of God? I'll come back to that in a moment. But I want you to get this picture. Loving disciples, as hard as that is, that's the easy part. Loving the other disciples. The hard part is to love the enemies, the ones that want to devour you. Love even the difficult. Love the abusive. Love the undeserving. Love the thoughtless. Love the selfish. Love the self-absorbed. And love the defensive, the unteachable, and the always right. Love them. That's the commandment here. And the one who's obeying that is loving Christ. And you know what? That's loving as he loved. When you love like this, you are loving the way he loved and loves. 
Because he loved us in this way while we were yet sinners. There was nothing in us that rated his love. In fact, we were enemies of God when he sent his son to die for us. And while we were enemies of God, he adopted us and seated us at the right hand next to the victor, his son, while we were still dirty. And over time, he cleanses us and he grows us downward in humility and worship and wonder. He cleanses the dirty. He deals with his enemies lovingly. What did he say here in this passage? He's kind to the ungrateful and evil. That's us. So you have a difficult time being loving with your enemy? All you have to do is go right here and say, man, I have a chance to be like God. I have the chance to show the love of God to someone else. After all, in John 17, he prayed for that. He prayed that I would be that otherworldly lover. Salty and bright and aromatic who loves his or her enemy. So the charge isn't to move when your neighbor becomes unsavory or your workmate becomes difficult. It's not to leave when your neighbor doesn't suit you. It's not to quit when the loving becomes hard. We are to love our enemies as God has loved us. He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Right? Fellow cheaters. And we so need the Holy Spirit in prayer to do this. To love Christ is to obey Him, and to obey Him is to love Him and love people. A couple of final thoughts. How are we to do this? No passages, just listen. Brief, but important. These words are from A.W. Pink. How does the lover of Christ obey Him? First, impartially. Without picking or choosing what you like or don't you like. Or who you like or who you don't like. Without picking or choosing the possibilities. I think I'll obey in this place and not in this. To obey him is to do it completely. If you do what Christ commands when it's agreeable with your own preferences and interests, that's not love for him. That's love for you. That's self-love. And that's not the love that's being spoken of here. You serve yourself rather than serving him. Or if you do what he commands to find favor with man, any man, whether it be your teacher or one of your family members or your pastor or elder, then you're serving that man rather than serving Christ. The lover of Christ does what he commands even when, especially when, it does great violence to what you come by naturally. I think that's called worship. So he obeys impartially. Secondly, he obeys implicitly. He obeys because it's him who commanded it, capital H, him. Obedience is love because you're showing by your actions that his ways are more important than your ways. The lover does what Christ says Because Christ commanded it. That's enough. I'll obey it implicitly because it came from Jesus. And then lastly, the lover of Christ obeys him cheerfully. Obeying him with a happy heart because if the commandments are his, they must be excellent. Let's pray for an increase of love. God, I'm so thankful that we all come before you guilty. We all come before you confessing that we are sinners. If we confess that we have no sin, then we are a liar. So we come before you sinful and undeserving with our only hope of coming before you boldly being through the finished work of another. And your grace and mercy in opening the eyes of our hearts to that work. Lord, I pray for a genuine love in this people. I pray that it start with me. I beg for opportunities to love the unlovable. And I already know that I'll give opportunity to others to love the unlovable. 
Lord, I pray we will be faithful in those opportunities. That we'll be faithful in walking in that prayer that you prayed for us, that we would be filled with your love. Lord, we confess as a people that this won't happen naturally. It can't. There's no silver bullet, no thing we can come up with for this to happen. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we beg, we beg for right now. I pray in advance these next few weeks, Lord, that you will give us insight into who the Spirit is and what he's done and what he's doing and how we can walk and stay in step with him so that we love rightly, so that we love well, so that we love obediently. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this building that if we're crossways with a brother or sister in any way, that we can seek loving restoration because of what's at stake. And Lord, if tonight or this morning is, this afternoon is preparing us for when we're crossways with somebody, then so be it, Lord. Find us prepared and attentive and find us coming in low where we see that you are already graceful and merciful and forgiving and patient with your enemy, me. Lord, I just pray that through this whole thing that you'll work a loving humility in all of us, a sweet teachability in all of us. Thank you so much for this sweet word from our Lord. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's worship in song. Y'all did a good job this morning listening. That was a journey. There's a fear for the preacher each week that uh, at least what I struggle with week, weekly is Satan visits me. I can't say that it's like this weird creature in my house with horns and just this overwhelming burden that, man, they just don't care. <laughs> Hits me on Saturdays. I used to, like, go to the kitchen and try and medicate. So I'm trying not to do that now. I'm trying to bathe it in prayer. But that's my... That's my um, thorn, I guess you could say. My spiritual thorn is that's where Satan attacks me. And then we show up on Sunday morning, and man, y'all are dining. Satan's just such a liar. A couple of announcements, and then we're going to end the morning praying for a young man that's going to Kenya. Uh, first announcement is that Wednesday, starting this Wednesday, for four Wednesdays in a row, June 3rd through June 24th, we're going to be at Grand Park in the evenings for family summer clubs. Those are going to begin at 7, and they'll go to 8.30. And it's for families of all ages. So you need to know that, you know, if you're like a single person, like uh, Patrick Fields, for example, and you're Patrick Fields' age, and you think, man, I don't want to go out there, then realize there's something bigger than you. The people of God are gathering, and while you may not think you're a family, at least from the leadership point of view, we're looking at you as a family. It's a family of one. And if you're thinking, oh, my kids are all grown up. I'm not going to do that. So it, you have a church family that's gathering out there. When we present children for membership, or excuse me, not for membership, for dedication, they become our, all of ours. You know, if you're a youth and you're thinking, man, that's not cool. <laughs> you may not say it that way. That's, if I were you, that's the way I'd say it. <laughs> that's not cool. It's not about cool. It's about loving one another. So come out there and love on some little kids, love on some families. Come out there and be part of this. So I encourage you, Wednesday night, to do this time of worship and family fun. Little, I'm reading from this. There's a bunch of these on the table as you leave. So grab some of these for people that you know. Can you all turn me down some? I feel like I'm getting some feedback. Um, for, for people that you know or work with or neighbors of... Let's, let's pass these things out. Go around your neighborhood and pass them out. Make, make the statement, though, though that, that we try and make in every case. If you're part of a church family, man, that's cool. You can still come enjoy this with us. We're, we're not trying to draw anybody away from the, uh, another church. If we have the chance to connect, connect to a family that's not in a church home, sweetness. Really, this is about the people of God gathering out loud or gathering and worshiping and enjoying Him out loud. So grab some of these and... Um, 
Pass those out if you can. Also, um, I want to encourage you. I'm going to have some new members I'm going to present here in a moment too. I want to encourage you to spend time with others, especially as we're moving into summer, man, and the activities are kicking up. I know stuff's going on. We are not meeting on Wednesday nights except for these, these four in a row for the family things for the rest of the summer. So you can be intentional about engaging other people. It frees up a night that many of you didn't have if, if you uh, come to our Wednesday night studies. It frees up a chance to engage other people. And realize that, man, loving one another can't be done just up here. Yeah, it's kind of this, you know, spoken thing. It has feet and hands. It has a dinner table. It has a kitchen. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to get to know people. Have them in your home. Spend time with them. Break bread together. You'll laugh. You know, sometimes you'll have one of those awkward sort of nights, but usually it's on, you know. You'll have a great time with people. And even in the awkward nights, maybe you have a couple of those, and then for long, you're like, man, you're, we're clicking. You can't love people you don't know. And you can't be loved well unless you're known. So I encourage you to be intentional about connecting with other people. It might be this morning, you may feel like, man, I'm not really connected to this church. You know, I don't, I don't really know anybody. You got to eat. Go to lunch with them. Just turn to them and say, hey, what are y'all doing for lunch? Let's go eat. And then go eat in Molina's or something. It's easy. So don't be intimidated by that. Now the Vaughns, y'all come on up. Curtis and Misty and Cruz and Melise. I met with these guys a couple weeks ago and talked through the covenant with them and talked through membership and what it meant. And they, they have been on the journey. Y'all watch this thing. I don't want to poke you. They, they have been on the journey with us the last few months and uh, have kind of been getting to know us as a people and getting to know where we stand, what we believe. And, and they have made the, um, they're making this morning an intentional communication to this body that they stand with us in worship and wonder and journey and belief. And they want to be known and want to know. So um, be intentional about connecting to this family if you don't know them yet. And um, they'll do the same. One of the things that Curtis has shared with me is just a burden of, of an accountable people, men that he can walk with, that, that have a burden for shepherding well because of what's at stake. And uh, I encourage you men, get to know Curtis, and ladies, get to know Misty and their, uh, their neat family. So you guys hang out up here just for a minute. Y'all have a seat. We're going to have a seat right over there by Steve. Sorry to do musical chairs with you, but I'm going to have y'all come back up right at the end so folks can come up and meet y'all. Okay? Vaughn's? Okay. <laughs> All right. Come on up, Micah. And uh, Steve and Steve. I'm going to turn this over to you, Steve. Steve. Jim, Sherry, why don't y'all go ahead and come up to you. have a neat privilege this morning. Uh, Mike Akano is heading to Kenya. He's going for 16 days with his grandfather. Uh, they're going to, well, and Carry the Light Ministries, is that right? Going to be opening an orphanage and uh, doing a VBS there. And this is a neat opportunity as a body for us to do a couple of things and uh, pray uh, for this body and what God's going to do in our body in this and for Micah specifically. And um, let the elders up here again. Um, men, uh, leaders in your family, I wish, I'd just I'd like for you to stand if you would. Those of you who are members of this fellowship, stand. Guys, men, I want you to join in this as well. Um, specifically for Micah, first, that God would just empty him of Micah. Um, having done this a few times myself, um, you go into another, another culture and there's a lot of different things you're going to run into. You know, he may get there and he's got to work hard to find something to drink. It may not feel too good. It may smell weird. It may be, a, you know, it can physically be weird sometimes, but uh, when God empties you of yourself, he shows you so many things. And I'm praying that for Micah myself, and uh, you guys have opportunity to do that. Also, guys, make a mental note or write it down. Next 16 days, uh, when are you leaving? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Starting tomorrow morning, pray for Micah daily. We're to exhort one another daily. We're called to do that. Uh, let's do that. And let's share in this with him for his family. Let's thank the Lord for the work of the Spirit in this family. Jim and Sherry in faithfulness, walking in front of Micah, being used of God to lead him in this, and then Micah's obedience to go and do this. So uh, we're, we're thankful for what God's done in that. Let's pray now. All the first, we just pray that your name be hallowed. And everyone here in this body, Father, uh, Father, we're thankful that your name has been hallowed in this family. 
your spirit has been at work. Uh, Father, we're thankful for Micah and this opportunity for obedience that uh, Father, he's been faithful in. Uh, Father, we pray that you go with him and before him. Uh, Father, that uh, the things you want to show him, the things you want to show his family, uh, the things you want to show us uh, as members of the body, things you want to share with the Kenyan people and children and those that are part of that ministry, Father, we you would have your way. Father, we wouldn't quench the spirit. Um, Father, we would be faithful to look to you each day. Uh, Father, we'd be satisfied in you that Micah would, uh, Father, lay down Micah, receive what you have for him. Father, he'd walk in obedience every day. Uh, Father, that in difficulties, Father, he would shine. You would put Christ on display in such a manner, Father, that you would be worshipped and followed. Uh, Father, what a neat opportunity, what a neat privilege to share in this. Uh, Father, we're thankful to you. Um, Father, we want to thank you for Christ and his obedience. Father, we can stand before you today and ask for your blessing, ask for your presence. Uh, So, Father, again, we just pray, uh, go before us. Go before Micah, uh, lead in everything, and uh, Father, um, we're thankful for the opportunity to love and to pray in obedience to your word the last two weeks. Father, we pray all these things in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Bonds, why don't y'all, oh, y'all come on back up here. Guys, be sure and come up and uh, share with Micah, share with the Bonds, and uh, let's... Uh, Y'all stand dismissed.